0: off everything at PuffWorks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's B-L-W-P-O-D. Use that sucker at checkout at PuffWorks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way.
1: So it is very hard to standardize that amount of probiotic, those strains of probiotic, because we all have different predispositions to different things.
0: Hey guys. Welcome back. It's National Nutrition Month. And all month on the podcast, I'm interviewing other registered dietitians working in the areas of food and feeding and nutrition. And today's dietitian, it's not just one dietitian. This is a married couple of two dietitians. That's right. Dahlia and James Marin are joining me today. They're the team otherwise known as Married to Health. Dahlia is a plant-based registered dietitian nutritionist. She has a background in gut health, and she works along with her husband, James, in a private practice. They're located in Laguna Niguel in Southern California. James is also a dietitian, pretty rare. Not a lot of guy dietitians to begin with, and not a lot of guy dietitians married to another dietitian. So this is cool. James, an integrative registered dietitian. He's also an environmental nutritionist. They both specialize in using whole plant foods as a form of medical nutrition therapy. And so they're on the podcast today, we're actually going to be talking about gut health, and in particular, probiotics, because James and Dahlia work together in a private practice. They actually provide virtual nutrition counseling to their patients for a lot of conditions focused on and centered around gut health, intestinal health. They're going to talk a lot about the microbiome, but we're going to speak specifically about probiotics for babies. Should your baby be taking probiotics? So with no further ado, I want to introduce you to the fabulous dietitian team, James and Dahlia Marin, Talking about probiotics and should your baby be taking probiotics? Well, hi, James and Dahlia. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I am so excited to get to interview both of you together.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for having
0: us, Katie. We're so excited. I just have to say right off of the bat, like, I so admire that you guys can work together. I (laughs) I I can't like even stand like doing like bills with my husband. I don't know how you guys manage to run a practice together. You're both registered dietitians. I don't know if if I've ever met a married dietitian couple. My My own mom is a dietitian, which is how I actually got interested in the field. And that's like a close enough relationship for me. So could you just tell us like a little bit about your background? How did you get to where you are? How did you come to work together and both be dietitians? It's such a cool story.
2: Yeah, it's great. I'll let let my wife go first. She's great at telling the story. That's the right answer. Correct.
1: He's smart. That's how we work
2: together. I just go, okay, honey, you can, yeah, you're amazing. After
1: 12 years, he's learned. So, um, you know, my journey began where I was an unhealthy child. I grew up first generation American, very acculturated diet that led me eventually to simultaneously being diagnosed as a teenager with obesity, prediabetes, hyperlipidemia, polycystic ovarian syndrome and an autoimmune thyroid condition. So my journey to nutrition really started with myself. I just started researching the topic because I knew that having a pharmacy to take every day was not the destiny I wanted for myself. I looked around me, I saw others in my family and others who I knew doing that, and I just didn't want it for myself. So I started looking into nutrition and started improving my own eating habits. I ended up taking a nutrition course at a community college. At that time, I was a psychology major in college, and I just fell in love with it. So I decided I'm going to switch. I want to pursue dietetics, nutrition and dietetics. And it's funny because the same college I ended up transferring to where James and I met, I initially got accepted to that college. I decided not to go there. So I ended up having to take an extra year to graduate. But on my very first day of college, I met James.
2: Yes. And <laughs> uh, and there. same, I, I grew up very unhealthy. I was, I'm third generation here and Dalia is Egyptian. I'm Hispanic. And, uh, you know, third generation here. So I grew up on a heavy load of Pop-Tarts and sugary cereal, and my mother didn't breastfeed me. And I was, I remember drinking the pink antibiotics like almost every month because I had something wrong with me. So I was what I would consider a typical American, right? And so with that, as I got older, I was morbidly obese in elementary school and junior high. I had, you know, joint pain, I had asthma. And I was like, there has to be, like, I started feeling like, what is wrong with me? And I started exercising and I'm like, oh, exercising makes me feel better. And through that, I started getting into sports. I played football. And towards the end of high school, going into college, I was like, I need to, I love this. I want to do this for my life. I want to become a nutritionist. Or then I found out about a registered dietitian, transferred to Cal Poly, and then met Dahlia. So we were both kind of on our health journeys. And then we met together and continued it.
0: Yes this is so cool. Like I have to have you guys on because your focus is a little bit different. You have a holistic nutrition practice, which to be honest, isn't a lot of time associated with dietitians. They have the kind of reputation of being the food police and they're in the hospitals with the white coats delivering you jello and telling you what not to eat. And I think that that's a really outdated stereotype of dietitians. And you guys are the embodiment of where the field and the profession is going. So could you share a little bit about what you do in your professional practice now? together and then how you got there. Cause I'm sure you didn't just start a private practice, like right out of your internship. Although you could, if you <laughs> wanted to, because you are the experts in nutrition.
1: <laughs> no, <Thank you. laughs> yeah, um, This was always a vision James and I talked about. We always knew we were different even while going to school, even while completing our undergrad and higher education, we were different. So we knew that we wanted to do things differently. I had a hospital job. Initially, James worked in public health initially, and we just saw all the red tape that was involved with that. We saw the things that we loved and maybe didn't love. So we wanted to take all the things that we did love and elevate them and make something that was really unique and really great in our opinion. And if we had to kind of explain the way that we practice it, a baby that Western medicine and Eastern medicine has, there's so much value in both ends of that spectrum. And I think oftentimes you find dietitians or even other health professionals at the polar opposite ends. So we said, We see both. Both are great when they're warranted. So we want to integrate both appropriately with one another. And we live that way. And we want to Mm -hmm. deliver that to others who want to live that way as well.
2: And really it was like, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners and everyone can relate to like information overload, like you're hearing it from social media and TikTok and YouTube and all these books and professors. And so, you know, it was really like, how do we curate this? Right? How do we take everything we've been learning over the last seven plus years, almost eight years now as dietitians? and like distill it and curate it and really take the best of everything. And that's what we put into our practice was like the best of the East, the best of the West, holistic, functional, integrative, you know, environment and putting it all together into like, here's a big picture for your health and nutrition.
1: And that's why we called ourselves married to health. Not only are we married to each other, we do kind of marry these different concepts.
0: This episode is brought to you by Better Help. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. For those of you listening, if you're not watching the video version of this, they have these beautiful pictures of the human gut behind their heads. I love it. It's like, I know your specialty is gut stuff. And that's like what we're here to talk about specifically today. Maybe you could just share a little bit about the link between the gut and the brain. First of all, for all of us parents, like we sometimes forget, you know, I always think like the butterflies in your stomach is the perfect example. Like you're nervous and it's affecting you physiologically in your gut. How is the gut in the brain linked? And then maybe in a second, we can kind of segue into how that affects your baby.
1: Love that question. I think it's so important to discuss that. And I think a lot of times it doesn't get talked about. And now more and more, we are starting to hear about it. We have something called the enteric nervous system in and around our gut. And so the gut and the brain connect directly between something called the vagus nerve. We know that there are so many nervous signals going from gut to brain, and then some coming from brain to gut. We have seen in studies that we produce upwards of 70% of our serotonin in our gut. We also produce over 50% of our dopamine in our gut. These are happy chemicals. They come directly from our healthy gut. What we eat and what interacts in our gut microbiome directly affects our mood, our behavior, and our kids as well. So when parents
0: ask specifically about their baby's gut health, and sometimes I'll get questions about, and I have a very food forward approach and I personally work with like a primarily neurotypical population. So completely understanding that with diagnosed you know, vitamin and mineral nutrient deficiencies, there's needs for supplementation. But when parents start asking questions about probiotics, I was curious, they say like, what supplement should my baby be on? For probiotics and gut health in babies, is there an indication for supplements or can we find food-based ways to help babies in this arena as well?
1: That's a really great question. And we receive that question as well. I think it's very easy to ask what supplement should I be giving or what supplement should I take? And I like people to think even before that. What we do know is our microbiomes look 100% different now than they did even 100 years ago. And this is oftentimes in regards to babies and the baby's gut due to very sterilized conditions. This can happen when mom might have taken antibiotics during pregnancy and whether she's group B strep positive or for other indications, maybe mom needed to take antibiotics. So that wiped out some of her bacteria perhaps mom had a C-section and not a vaginal delivery. We know that that vaginal microbiome inoculates baby initially with some important microbes. And now things are changing, thankfully, for C-section deliveries where babies are getting swabbed with mom's vaginal bacteria, even if they are delivered C-section. But if it's that sterile condition, maybe mom wasn't able to breastfeed. So in that case, if baby is missing all of those touch points when perhaps natural microbiome could have been delivered to baby, possibly. So if it is a baby, like I said, who's on that trajectory, mom took antibiotics, C-section delivery, not breastfed, they might be missing a lot of a very important strain. If that strain is possibly at risk, then yes, perhaps one can benefit from either supplementing baby or supplementing mom with that specific strain. But there have been other studies where other strains were utilized, no benefit, no benefit. To baby more than one week after supplementation, even if mom continued to supplement baby for months. And then again, long-term effects studies had no benefit from using other strains of probiotic. Our gut is very complex in an infant microbiome. There are dozens, hundreds, thousands of strains already forming. So usually in most probiotic supplements, you're getting four strains, five strains, and a lot of them. That might set off the natural rhythm and that natural balance. So, so be cautious.
2: Right. And so the analogy here is, is when it comes to your gut microbiome, you are building structure and you're building population, which in turn equals function. Right. And so a great analogy is like New York City wasn't built in a couple of weeks. Right. Like you had to build all that infrastructure and we like all these businesses and then all these people moved in and now you have a thriving population. So it would be like when you're overloading the body with probiotic supplements, you're taking a small city in Ohio, let's say, and trying to make them New York City. And what if you took all the people in New York City and moved them to that small city in Ohio? Probably wouldn't work out long term, right? So that kind of that's kind of that analogy, which links back to that. It's one week, it shows a difference because maybe those people were there for a week and soon they were like, I don't have a place to sleep or live, I don't have a job, I'm getting out of here, Right. So then the name of the game is how do we build that structure? How do we build that gut microbiome? And really it comes down to breastfeeding.
0: And let's talk about the food-based sources of probiotics too, because I think when people hear probiotics, they automatically think supplements, and it is important to remind people that there's not even consensus in the healthcare and the research community about what dose constitutes an effective amount of probiotics, as I understand it, or what are the best strains. Like, it's not like you just say probiotics and you take X amount, like iron, you need X number of milligrams a day. It doesn't work like that with probiotics. Is that correct? That is
1: very correct. And again, I think an analogy James likes to give is, you know, we all have fingerprints, but we're all unique. So our microbiomes are very, very much the same. So it is very hard to standardize that amount of probiotic, those strains of probiotic, because we all have different predispositions to different things. And again, just trying to throw probiotics at something might not solve the issue. So as much as we want to focus on prevention, we can also focus on diet, which is also another initiative with prevention. So mom's diet can be very rich in prebiotics as well. So different types of plant foods. And that's really where the prebiotics come from. They come exclusively from these fiber rich fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, seeds, grains, legumes. So if mom's diet is very rich in that, then her breast milk will also be very rich in that as well. We also know that there are foods that can contain strains of probiotics. I think most of them are referred to as ferments. So we think that when we ferment certain types of foods, that they produce live strains of bacteria, and it can vary from different things. But things that are fermented in probiotics can be kimchi, sauerkraut. It can be things like kefir, or it can be yogurt. They could also be a dairy-free yogurt as well, made of different nuts or seeds like almond, cashew, or peeling nut. These usually have added strains of probiotic in them. And studies have shown that mom can pass those probiotic strains onto baby, and those are present in her breast milk if mom is consuming some of these probiotic or fermented foods that are supposed to have probiotics.
2: I kind of laugh at this topic because there's really even no consensus on what a probiotic is like the term probiotic. Right. And so I, know
0: I laugh at the topic, which is why I <laughs> asked you guys to be on the podcast. I'm like, maybe they understand it, but it's all seems like a little bit of like lotions and potions, sort of stuff. Like, right. Right. Because even, I mean, what, how much, what's a billion? Well, is it 10 billion or which strain or, and also like, isn't yogurt just like in and of itself, a natural source of bacteria and probiotic that's good for the gut. And if you give your baby whole milk, full fat, unsweetened yogurt, like boom, there's a probiotic food. Why do you have to go buy a fancy supplement? It's kind of always been my approach, but I just wanted to get yours.
2: Yeah, no, no, seriously. I mean, it's oh, it's God. crazy because we'll go to these expos sometimes for our profession. I don't know if you've been to natural products expo. Oh, yeah. And there's probiotic chips and probiotic mm-hmm. soda and probiotic, even probably there's a lotion, a probiotic lotion you can rub on your face, right? So there's probiotic everything, but really when you are, let's say getting cabbage, And throwing it in vinegar with a little bit of salt and water, and you're watching it ferment, where did that strain come from? We didn't buy it and add it to that jar of cabbage. The strains were already on the cabbage, right? The idea is you're eating tons of these microbes and if you can eat what we find and what we find in studies, which is a majority of plant foods, so potatoes and like I said, beans and, and fruits and vegetables, you are getting this variety of microbes, and hopefully, they're going to have this synergistic effect that's hopefully going to be positive. So, that's like a symbiotic effect, right? Rather than, you know, coating a chip in a probiotic capsule saying, here's a probiotic or chip.
0: Taking or, a bunch yeah, of,
2: who knows, uh, you know, so, or taking yeah, a bunch of supplements. But it's
0: like organic junk food is still junk food in people because, you know, <laughs> right? it's the, the perception of health, which is, you know, it's 99% marketing, just like so many things in the baby food world. Yeah. Like these are all things for the most part we don't need. And that's why I was so excited. It's hard to find a gut health expert to come on and talk. Who's not going to try to sell you a million supplements. And like, and yes, that would be, you know, the golden pills, what everyone wants. It's a little bit harder to work on introducing foods, but we have a whole audience of parents who are like, no, I want to do this. I want to introduce these foods to my baby. So without freaking out about your baby's gut health, but like for your, again, neurotypical child, mom, maybe fed colostrum, but didn't exclusively breastfeed Mm -hmm. has a decent ish diet. Like Is your baby's gut health something like if you had to rank and prioritize things to freak out and be worried about? Like, is that high up there? Or is this something that I think we maybe are the idea is pushed upon us by the supplement industry that, like, oh, we need to be so concerned about it when maybe if we just worked on feeding our babies real foods, their gut microbiome would develop the way it's supposed to? Yeah. Yeah. Not to put any words in your mouth. That's just my (laughs) opinion. I'm like, am I on track here? Or like,
1: you are absolutely, especially when it comes to probiotics. For the gut, supplements should be conservative. More is definitely not always better. So we know that when you're taking, people are usually attracted to them. My patients are always like, oh yeah, I'm taking 10 billion colony forming units of this, these two strains. You have thousands of strains in your gut. So you might actually be offsetting things and you can do the same for your kids. So if they're unnecessarily being given probiotic supplements, you could very well be suppressing the development of some other strains that they need to be making because you're overwhelming their microbiome with these probiotics food first is always gonna be an approach. And like you said, that mom, that example that you gave, maybe she fed some colostrum breastfed for a little bit, diet is decent, they're doing great. They have no concerns of giving probiotics. And we know last year, the American Gastroenterological Association came out with their guidelines. And they even showed for the general population, adults and children, really most people should not be taking probiotics. Very, very few cases, A typical mom with a typical diet and a little bit of breast milk, you should be good.
0: What about prolonged antibiotic use in children? Like if your child has had multiple ear infections, I know sometimes parents are worried, oh my gosh, because, you know, antibiotics not only kill the bad stuff, but they kill some of the good guys too. If you have had a medically fragile child or a child who has been on antibiotics for whatever reason for prolonged period, would that be a reason to possibly consider needing additional probiotics? Yes or no?
2: You can tell, let me just add a disclaimer. This is not medical advice and we are registered dietitians, but go ahead. I know (laughs) you.
1: Yeah. So that's a a really, really good question. And before we get there, I like to always give the context of they've done analyses and have shown that over 50% of antibiotics given are given unnecessarily. So oftentimes, of
0: course, most parents know that I think.
1: Yeah. We jump on things that maybe aren't even bacterial. So one, make sure that it is warranted. And two, they actually, a couple of years ago, I think it was a 2017, 2018 study that took three groups of people. And with all three groups of people, they administered antibiotics. So they wiped out their microbiome. In one of the groups of people, they had first taken a fecal microbiota transplant from the own person. So they had a sample of their stool. For the second group, they gave them probiotics after taking antibiotics. And for the third group, they did nothing. What they found that after three months of this study was, of course, the group that recovered their original microbiome most quickly was the one that got their own FMT. They literally got a microbiome given back to them. The group that recovered second was not the probiotic group. It was a group that did nothing. They even found that at the end of this three month study, the probiotic group had not recovered their original microbiome eat that much healthier after you've taken antibiotics try to recoup your own natural microbiome with prebiotic foods and you can eat some of these fermented foods that hopefully have probiotic strains in them
0: hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news
2: why were those, you know, chronic ear infections Mm -hmm. happening? Why, what else was happening? Usually when we probe and ask these questions, it's really, you know, we're, we're so go, go, go. And, you know, as as a parent and we know as parents Mm -hmm. that like, Oh my gosh, do they have to go to tumbling and then they have karate and they have school and this project and we have work and it's go, go, go. And you really don't stop to think of, Oh, wow. Yeah. That did happen where before they got an ear infection, you know, they were actually on antibiotics not that long ago for something else or, you know, we just follow the rabbit hole down and we try to get to that root and we try to go, oh, look, let's focus and let's double down on lifestyle in this area. Let's really, like Dahlia was saying, add back these foods or maybe there's some emotional trauma or there's stress or there's anxiety or there's other, sleep. you need more sleep. You're not hydrating mm-hmm. enough. There's, it's usually a multifactorial, you know, solution to this multifactorial problem.
0: It's not just take a supplement.
2: (laughs) Or take a supplement or take an antibiotic and there you go, you're gonna be all set. It's usually not that.
0: (laughs) I love to ask guests just a little bit about the way they introduce solids to their baby. So I was curious for your guys' daughter, just for our audience, they love to know where you're coming from. I know you guys are a primarily plant-based family. Did you raise your daughter that way? Did you guys do baby led weaning? Does she eat the same as you? Like, What's your family approach for feeding?
2: Yeah. So she is. So our daughter has been hundred percent plant-based her whole life. And this was, you know, it's, it's a cool experiment we did and, it, and it's worked out. And so Dahlia and I have been hundred percent plant-based for- You're
0: lucky because it sounds kind of like, Oh, I'm experimenting. I'm kidding. Experiment. I'm, yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. No, it,
2: but it, but it he truly is, is. I mean, it's, back. it's really cool. Like science is when you're looking at science, even peer-reviewed studies, like you're going off educated guesses, right? Like this is out of the, all the factors and knowledge we have, we're doing experiments and saying, okay, this looks like the best path. Who knows? It might not be, but we're going down that. And it's been working out really well. Dolly and I are going on 10 years, hundred percent plant-based and it's been really great.
0: Does that mean vegan?
2: I'm sorry. I don't know the terminology,
0: <laughs> but they're both smiling.
2: No, that's fine. I mean, and that's why we have nothing against a majority of our patients eat animals. And we, mm-hmm. you know, we say as long as you're a majority plant-based, we feel like that's more of us need more plants. Essentially. Mm-hmm. We're not really vegan. Vegan is more of a lifestyle and a belief system of like, okay, I like do no that. harm to animals. Not that we go out and harm animals, mm-hmm. but you know, we're, we're in it more for health, not for like ethical reasons. We're not ethical vegans. We're more of just health vegans. Health. So
1: health of the environment. And of yeah. course
2: we care
0: about animals, but. So you guys did not do fish, shellfish, egg, <laughs> dairy. Like you just, you just don't do those foods. You, you made the conscientious decision to not do those foods for your family.
1: Yes. So we modified baby led weaning in the sense that it worked for our family and our lifestyle. And we introduced the other allergens that are plant-based like peanuts, tree nuts, coconuts. We have introduced her to those plant-based allergens and it has come up. So Layla recently has taken an interest in eggs. She in preschool would see that for snack time, sometimes the kids would eat hard boiled eggs. And she was one day came home and she said, I want to try eggs. And again, we are not ethical vegans per se. And so I kind of talked it out with James and we openly have family discussions. And I was like, okay, interesting. Why do you want to try eggs, Layla? Uh, Well, I I don't know. They just look interesting. My kids in my class were eating it. I'm I'm kind of curious about it. So we were like, okay, well, let's talk about why we don't eat eggs. Because she did ask, she said, if I try them, will you try them with me? And I said, you can try them. I respect you. And I want you to be able to try things if you want to try them. And I want to make sure that they're, you know, responsibly sourced. James's uncle has backyard chickens, So we said, okay, maybe when we see uncle Paul, we can try one of his eggs. Um, But she asked if I would try an egg with her. And I said, I personally would not want to eat the egg because of X, Y, and Z. My personal reasons for not wanting to eat eggs, but you can try them. And so I said, think about it. You know, we're going to see uncle Paul. And so she came back and she was like, I don't think I want to try it, but I might. And I said, okay, I kind of left it at that. So we'll see how that goes and introducing that to her because that will be one of her first exposures to that. I'm sure in her six years of life, she's been exposed somewhere, a baked good she's had well with my mom, or you know, I'm sure these things have come yeah. into her diet one way or another. Yeah. Um, but that will be, you know, if she so chooses, which we don't know if she will, her first exposure to that food. And do your parents support?
0: a plant-based lifestyle because you've both shared openly that you were raised in families that didn't have the same emphasis on health and nutrition that you two have now not only made part of your marriage but part of your business and now your daughter's life. How do you deal with the interaction with family members who might not understand or be pressuring you to, you know, make Layla try an egg from your uncle's backyard.
2: Yeah. I'll say my family has a harder time with it definitely than Dahlia's family. And I think it has something to do with culture. I think I'll let her speak to that. But my family's had a really hard time with it. And uh, yeah, we've had to set boundaries and really it's just kind of like, this is our boundary, please respect us. And, uh, and yeah, we've just been really adamant about that. But I think when people kind of see where we're coming from, they see what we do, we have the talking points to back it up. Like if my family tries to challenge me, I'm like, "Here's ABCD, give G, you know," and they're like, "Okay, never mind." Like I'll back up, <laughs> but yeah. Um,
1: and with my family, really, it's not only the fact that we are plant based; it's also just the fact that we've taught Layla intuitive eating. We do practice, you know, the division of responsibility with her. We do teach her that when she's satisfied, she's in charge of telling us that. And that mm-hmm. was very new for my family. I was a member of the Clean Plate Club. So initially with my family, that was probably the harder thing for them mm-hmm. of saying, Layla, finish your plate. and Or you take know,
2: take one more bite. Yeah. And it's like, why? She said she's satisfied, right? So, yeah. so
1: both of them kind of <laughs> happened, I think, simultaneously, which kind of just let my family know, look, we know what we're doing. <laughs> and we feel very passionately about that. And we would really appreciate if you respected us. And this is what we want for our daughter. And, but with both, they really have opened up. I remember when I was pregnant, my mom laughed and she was like, ah, you think with her Egyptian accent, you think she's going to be vegan. And I said, yes, you know, right now that's how I would like to raise my daughter. And so over time, they've really seen that we are passionate about this. And now my mom is even the one telling my dad, I heard very recently, my dad was telling Layla to finish her plate. And my mom said, no, no, they don't do this. (laughs) My mom told him like, they don't do that. Like so I think in every aspect, it has been a learning experience for us and for them. And now Layla is her own little advocate. She mm-hmm. tells me, my mom laughs and tells me, if, you know, in the past when they took her to restaurants, Layla will ask, even starting at three years old, she'll ask the server, does this have dairy? Is this vegan? So she kind of will ask on her own if, yeah. you know, it does meet the way that our family chooses to eat.
0: Layla's lucky because you guys are both on the same page about that. Like, for many families, it even starts with the parents are not on the same page, where one parent or partner will be pushing the baby that she needs to be eating more because they're not getting enough. The other one's like, no, it's it's actually, I love the way your mom said it. It's not what they do anymore. Like, literally, that's not a thing anymore. So, and it's okay to have those discussions, but it does help when both parents are united on the same front. So, I am like totally in awe of you guys. I think the work you do is so important. I think it's so important that you're helping to promote the face of nutrition and dietetics with cultural diversity, with different foods, with different areas of nutrition, environmental nutrition for James and doing all of the um, integrative work that you're doing, Dahlia. It's really, really inspiring. So thank you for the work you guys do. And I was curious if you could just share with our audience, where can they go to learn more about both of you and your practice and all of your resources?
2: Yeah, our website, marriedtohealth.com. You can find us on Instagram at marriedtohealth. And everywhere, Facebook, you no, know, YouTube, all TikTok. married to health, even TikTok, even Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a new one. We're interested on that.
0: Thanks, guys. Oh my gosh, that was awesome. You guys are amazing. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Oh my gosh, how cool are they? Could you imagine working with your husband that closely? I love them. And they're like so nice and smiling. I also wanted to point out, like, it's really hard to have people come on and talk about gut health, you guys. It is not like the most interesting thing. Well, I said they're the first people I've ever talked to about gut health where I haven't fallen asleep because they make it interesting, but they're also not like, too super over your head, like what's the takeaway message? So I think what a fabulous couple, James and Dahlia Marin. They're out of Southern California. They're actually in Orange County, married to health.com. And I'm going to link up all of their resources on the show notes for this episode. That's at blwpodcast.com forward slash 108. Thanks for listening and happy National Nutrition Month.